Hello, my name is Abigail Williams and I'm the director of the Digital Miscellanies Index, which is a research project focusing on 18th century poetic miscellanies. And today I'm going to give an introductory talk on miscellanies and talk a little bit about how they were used and most importantly what they are. So my talk is entitled Only Collect, an Introduction to the World of the Poetic Miscellany. To start off with the basics, Miscellanies are usually compilations of relatively recent texts which are designed to suit contemporary tastes. They're one of the main ways in which ordinary people read verse and prose in the 18th century and they have a lot to tell us about not only about what people read but how they read and the ways in which they chose to group the sorts of texts that they read. And often the kinds of stories that they have to tell us about how people read offer an important challenge or counter to the assumptions that we have about what literary culture looked like and what the history of reading looked like. So they're very important both in terms of the way in which we think about the whole shape of the literary canon but also about the idea of the history of the book and the history of the reading in this period. So poetic miscellanies are popular collections of poetry designed to suit contemporary tastes and there's quite a lot of crossover between poetic miscellanies and I suppose our modern term for collections of poetry, which would be anthologies. We're trying to distinguish between miscellanies as collections which are built around particular themes, often around fashionability or, about, or entertainment that suit particular ends, rather than anthologies which attempt to represent the whole history of English literature um, within its great span of trying to represent all of great writers. So, to talk a little bit about the index that I'm running, what this index is going to do is to provide entries on each separate one of the 1,200 or so poetic miscellanies published in the 18th century. And then within that, it will catalogue each of the poems and the authors who wrote them. So it will enable people, sorry, it will enable people to ask quite specific questions about what happened to individual writers, to individual poems, and to track themes um, or genres across the whole period. That hasn't been possible until now because it's just impractical to open up every one of 1,200 books and look at their contents pages to do a kind of quantitative survey of the period. So we hope that the index will both provide people with ways of answering the questions that they have about texts they already know about, but also to find new things, to find out, for example, all the different ways in which people talked about the Jacobite Rising of 1745 or to find out all the different poems about cats that were published in the 18th century or all the different poems that were sung to a particular tune or had a particular refrain. Miscellanies, I've said, are different from, from anthologies in that they're not trying to represent the whole history of English literature but a little subset grouped in, in a particular way. One of the ways in which we might think about them generically, about where they come from, is as the um, inheritors of the commonplace tradition. Commonplace books are a manuscript form that was used um, in the 15th, 16th and 17th century, books in which readers would write down their favourite passages from verse or prose or recipes that they liked or instructions or thoughts. And they would group them together, and this is an example of one of them, 
They'd group them together rather randomly. Sometimes they were indexed, but sometimes they really were random or just moved from one to the other. Um, and they, they collect them together in this way. So they are defined by the topics and the texts that their authors find interesting. At the other end of the scale, by the time you get to the 18th century, you have what we would now recognise as an anthology, so something like this, a complete edition of the poets of Great Britain. And Miscellany sits somewhere between these two models. They're a halfway house between the slightly randomised collection of the commonplace book that you see in manuscript culture, and they're not quite the formal history of English literature that you see in the late 18th century anthology, which is closer to an, the kind of anthology that we have today. So I'm going to move on now to give you a sense of the diversity of miscellanies in the 18th century and the range of things that they're made to do and the, and the ways in which they are made useful or exciting to their readers by showing you a series of title pages of miscellanies from the 18th century. On one hand, we've got one uh, miscellany from 1790 called Elegant Extracts, pieces selected for the improvement of youth in re speaking, reading, thinking and composing and in the conduct of life. So it's making some pretty grand claims there. Then we've got one called Laugh and Be Fat or The Merry Jester, which has got merry waggeries and witty jibes and smart quibbles in. So this is a different kind of thing. This is, seems to be less educational, less about improvement and more about entertainment, giving you something to kind of read aloud and joke with your friends about. Um, then we've got another kind of um, another kind of jokey collection, presumably aimed at a male readership, which is Abriotatus Encomium, or, or The Praise of Drunkenness, or we've got here, The Flowers of Parnassus, or The Ladies' Miscellany. So sometimes they seem to be gender-specific, these collections. Um, here we've got a children's miscellany. Um, here we've got, sometimes they, the significant fact about the collection is the person who is said to have collected them. So here we've got poems on several subjects. That doesn't tell us much. The important thing here seems to be that it's collected by a landwaiter in the port of Poole. And geography and topography is often significant in, in the way these things are grouped. So here we've got the Scarborough Miscellany for 1732. Um, and here, this gives you an example of, we've seen, so that's an example of um, the ways in which different miscellanies titles seem to allude to different readerships and different reasons for their being collected together. And here, if you look, if you look at the year, some of the output for the year 1784, you can see, again, that range represented in a different kind of way. Just running your eyes through, you can see you've got very explicitly political collections, you've got dramatic ones, um, you've got ones which seem to be quite specifically about collecting um, poetic excellences, collecting the kind of great poetry of the time. You've got ballads and you've got poems by the Welsh bards. So, one of the things I find that um, characterises um, this study of miscellanies, or my any time I go to talk about miscellanies, is that it's whenever anyone says, "Do are miscellanies like this or like this?" It's really difficult to generalise because they're so diverse, both in the range of their genres, but also in within what they um, include within them. So you can see there they have this they have this massive uh, massive diversity in their types and also within them one of the things that they don't tend to do is to group the stuff within them thematically. So you can move quite quickly in some of them from a bawdy poem to something for children to something to be sung out loud to an improving bit of prose. And they're all squashed together within the same two covers. And one of the mysteries, I think, of them is that we don't really know how people read them, what they did with this, this rather extraordinary kind of mishmash of, of material that they contain.
So they are diverse, as I've said. They come in many different types. Um, the titles of them allude to that diversity, show us how different they are, but they also have some common, they have some common um, um, tropes or images within their titles. So quite a lot of the collections have, the, um, have beauties or flowers within their titles. And that alludes to the Greek root of the word anthology, which is about the collecting and picking of flowers. So the idea is that this is collecting the finest flowers of the poetic field and gathering them together in one little lot. Or they will have the word museum in the title, which um, is alluding to, to the, again, the Greek use of the word museum as a building connected with or dedicated to the music, to the, sorry, dedicated to the muses or the arts inspired by them. Another common trope is the cabinet broken open or a packet broke open. So that's the idea that you've got a collection of someone's papers which has somehow become available through being lost or broken open and is then accessible to a wider public. So you can see there that they're, telling, they're using those titles to tell different stories about what's in them. So moving on now to talk a bit about how we might use them and how they might be useful. I think miscellanies are really vital for understanding what happens at any particular moment in literary history because in representing what we might see as contemporaneity or popularity, they give us a snapshot of literary taste at any given historical moment. And if you take that snapshot metaphor further and think about each miscellany as representing a snapshot of a moment, if you put them side by side, you get a moving picture of what's happening with the canon. You see how you, rather than telling a big story like, in the 18th century, everyone discovered Shakespeare, or in the 18th century, people went from liking the classics to wanting original native verse. You can tell that story in a much more nuanced way, because you can see what's happening month by month and year by year. So miscellanies enable us to track what's happening in literary culture, and they also enable us to complicate some of the, as I say, the, some of the generalizations that people make about what people were reading and how they were reading it. So. An example of, what, of how that might work is that um, it used to be said, well, people used to talk about the 17th century poet Abraham Cowley as, as a, an example of a poet who was no longer read by the 18th century. They said he'd gone out of fashion and that no one was really interested in him. Um, and you can see here the, the foundation for this assumption was that um, Alexander Pope in 1737, in one of his imitations of Horace, used Cowley as an example of a writer that no one was interested in reading anymore. He said, who now reads Cowley? If he pleases yet, his moral pleases, not his pointed wit. Forget his epic, nay, Pindaric art, but still I love the language of his heart. So everyone used to say, oh well, Pope said he was out of fashion, and he was. No one was reading him by the time he got to the early 18th century. And if you look at the existing data of, Cowley's pub of published works by Cowley, i.e., separate volumes with Cowley's name on the spine, you can see that there is this tailing off. So you can see here along the timeline that lots of people are reading Cowley in the later 17th century. And then look, the little bars go down and down. And there's a bit of a spike in the 1770s. But it's true, no one is reading Cowley in the 18th century. But once you start to look at the way in which Cowley's poems are published in miscellanies, so in collections of poems, including works by other people, not just in his own right, you see that there's quite a different story. So here we can see, the, on one hand, the blue represents the way in which Cowley is being published on his own 
in separate volumes with Cowley on the spine, and then the red bars show how much Cowley there is in Miscellanies. And you can see that it's, it represents something quite different. Actually, there's a rise in publications of Cowley. So it actually looks like it's not possible to say that, to agree with Pope, or that if Pope was saying that in the 1730s, that no one reads this writer anymore, that might not have been true. They weren't reading him in some kinds of ways, in that they weren't buying whole edi published editions of Cowley's works, but they were reading him in Miscellanies. Um, and if we see the whole span of how Cowley appears in these miscellanies between 1700 and 1740, you can see that it's not possible to generalise really at all because you've got some years in which there's a lot of frequency, but high frequency, and some years in which there's hardly any at all. So I hope that one of the things that this resource will do will be to complicate that story about what's happened to the shape of the literary canon. In a way, it's really engaging with this idea of great writers because it's enabling us to look at what people were doing with great writers as well as what great writers themselves were doing, that part of the story of great writers is the story of their history and their use. And that's quite a complicated story. It depends a lot on the ways in which we look at the, the occurrence of those writers, whether we look at them as published in, for in poetry, in miscellanies, or in published works, or in manuscript. And any one of those sources will tell us a different story about what's going on there. So I hope that part of what um, this very short introduction to Miscellanies has done is to enable us to tell, to show some of the ways in which stories are made and told about what's happened in literary culture and what's happened to our writers. Thank you.